Zechariah, and then I read Zechariah, and I just was like, there's, there's way more to this. There's way more scripturally to this guy Judas than we ever really think about. We just kind of think, every time we see Judas, and every time it's mentioned in scripture, we say, Judas, that guy, he betrayed Jesus. But we never really ask, why? And, and, and why did there have to be a betrayer in the first place? Why didn't they just arrest him? So, if you'll pray with me, I apologize up front. We're going to read through a lot of scripture, but I want to paint the picture so that we get an idea of, of what it is. So if you'll just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that um, your words would be manifest. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be with us. Open our eyes. Help us to learn together today. Amen. Okay. Um, you want to show that on the screen? Uh, who is Judas? All right. So we're going to go through some things. Some of them are repetitive. Um, I understand they're repetitive, but I want to make the point that all of the gospel writers made a point of writing about this. It's mentioned in every single gospel. All right, Matthew 10.1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Judas was one of these 12. We don't, I don't think, I often think about that. Judas is one of those 12 that was given the power to go out and heal. He was just as trusted as any of the other disciples. He was one of the inner circle. There was 70-ish that followed, but there was 12 that were really close, right? Judas is one of those guys. He's on the varsity team. He's one of the trusted. He went out with another guy, and they did all these things. All right. Uh, John 12 so that's, so I want to point out, that's it. In, in, in Matthew 10, 1, it's 1 through 4. They list out all the, all the apostles. All it says is, in Judas Iscariot, at the end of Matthew 10, 4, and it says, who also betrayed him. He never gets mentioned without saying, who also betrayed him. But that's it. That's all we know about Judas. We don't know how Judas was called. Um, some of the Bible scholars, most of the, most of the disciples are from the northern part of of, of Israel, maybe Judas is from south of Jerusalem, so Jesus maybe meets him on his travels, but we have, we have nothing else to know of how Judas was called. So the next time we run into Judas in the Bible is in John 12, 4-6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. All right, so this is about a week before Jesus is crucified. Jesus comes to visit. He visits Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary takes this fragrant oil. She dumps it on Jesus' feet. And, and it's, but the point I want to make is it's not just Judas. It's not just Judas that's upset. We'll see that in other scripture. Um, but why, I, I wanted to ask the question, why is Judas upset? And the scripture tells us a little bit, but that's 300 denarii. That's a year's worth of wages. A year's worth of wages. And so when she spends that, and Judas, Judas says, well, why didn't, you, why didn't you sell it and give it to the poor? And then the other disciples are also upset well, isn't it logical to think that maybe they're upset because for the last three years, Jesus has been teaching them 
to give everything they have to the poor, to not hold on to possessions, to not be extravagant. I mean, what did he tell the rich young ruler? Give everything you have to the poor and follow me. Have they not just been told that the whole time? Could it be logical that Jesus is like, Judas is thinking, what's going on? Like, why all of a sudden is this changing? You should, you should sell this. Why, why the extravagance? And, the other, and I, I think it's important to, to note that Judas isn't the only disciple that's upset about that. They all were. Judas just voices it. But then John adds on to there, it wasn't because Judas really felt that way. He was a thief. Okay. So then where do we run into him again? Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Let's go to the next one. Now the feast is from Luke. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how that he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So this is, like, scripturally, this, this follows directly after, you know, I don't know if it's a day or two days, but directly after this discussion that Judas has with Jesus. Why didn't you tell her to sell this? So something, something happens in that moment where, where Judas leaves there and says, maybe this guy isn't who I think he is. Maybe this isn't going to work out the way I think it's going to work out. I need to go do something about it. So Judas goes to the Pharisees and starts working out this deal. The other part I think was important because we're going we're gonna to ask, like, why? Why does Judas even have to betray Jesus? Like, what's that all about? But it says from that moment forward, there's two things. Satan entered Judas, and Judas constantly sought the time that was going to work out well for him to betray Jesus. Make sure I didn't forget anything in my, in my notes from that section. Okay. Next. Mark 14.10. Uh, this is the last one of these. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. So Judas seeks them out, right? So, so Judas is, is upset from this moment with, that they have with Mary and Martha. He goes to the chief priests. Now we find ourselves at the Last Supper. Okay, uh, next. John 13, 12. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. How could, if you thought about this, how could one of the twelve that was endowed with the Holy Spirit to heal in the name of Jesus be possessed by Satan how, how could that happen 
Those are, there's a couple of things to think about the, theologically. Actually, Jenny helped me work this out last night over dinner. Um, prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, has Jesus died for everybody's sins? No. Has the Holy Spirit been there yet? No. So I don't know necessarily that Judas, like relationally with Jesus, is the same as what we could be with Jesus. Judas hasn't had a chance yet to accept Christ as a Savior. Maybe because Christ hasn't died for his sins yet. But one of the twelve. Like, I mean, so often in my life I've, I've come across like Judas is filled with Satan. I'm like, yep, that's because he's a bad dude. But, he, but that wasn't the case, right? Like, so how does that happen? Judas had made a decision. Like, Judas had made a decision in his heart away from Jesus that allows for Satan to, to come and take his heart. Okay, next. Luke 22, 21 through 23. But behold, so Jesus is at the table. This is the, the, Lord's, the Lord's Supper, communion. We're going to celebrate this today. Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples, and these are the things he goes through. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Would they be questioning amongst themselves if Judas really stood out as like a terrible dude? I mean, they, wouldn't you think that they're all like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's Judas, you know? But they don't, and, and we're going to see this in these upcoming scriptures. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It could be any one of us. I mean, I think about this. I don't believe this to be true, but just go with me in the, in the idea. You could be sitting around in a session with somebody that you've known for church the whole time. This, this is the level of relationship and the person that's going to deny Jesus could be sitting right next to you. I don't think that that's the case at our church. <laughs> but, but I want to drive the point home that, that they don't know. They've been traveling with each other for three and a half years. By this point, they're living in hiding already. They're trusting each other with their very survival. And they don't know. So Judas is doing this pretty well. Uh, next. Mark 14, 17-21. In the evening, he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written to him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. There's one guy sitting around the table that knows that, that Jesus is talking to him. You've seen a guy feed 5,000. You've seen a guy cast out demons. You've seen a guy be transfigured. You, you at least heard about it from your three friends. All of these things, and now this guy's looking at you saying, you're the only one in the room that knows, but I know. And it would have been better for you to never have been born. At that point, I think if I'm Judas, like, there's, how do I recover from that? Do I just confess right there? It's me, I don't want to do this. Does, I mean, Judas is getting some kind of fair warning, right, from Jesus? Next. 
John 13, 21 through 30. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Nobody knows, except for Jesus. Jesus is sharing the most intimate time that he will share with his disciples. In the middle of that, Jesus has to kick off the process that will lead to his own death. He knows it's coming. He has to kick it off in a way that the rest of the disciples don't even know. And what's interesting is that, is that Judas runs off immediately. The other disciples still don't really get it. And Jesus then shares this super intimate time with his disciples. Judas doesn't get to be a part of that. Have you ever noticed that? When, when Jesus starts teaching them about all the things and they pray together, Judas doesn't get to be a part of that. But how heart-wrenching to, be, to know that. And he doesn't call them out in front of everybody. Not at that time he doesn't. Because he needs everything to go the way that it's supposed to go. Okay, next. So what did Judas do? Let's, let's just think about what, what did Judas do. Luke 22, 47-48. And while he was still speaking, so Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's now alone. It's nighttime. There's not a throng of people around him. He's talking to his disciples. While he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he, was called, he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to, to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Next. John 18, 1-4 says it this way. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Mark says it this way, in Mark 14, 43-48, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, 
rabbi and kissed him. Then they laid hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? And then finally in Matthew 26, 47-55, And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude of swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend. Jesus never stopped loving him. I mean, if that doesn't give you chills, Jesus says to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all those who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, I have you come out, and this is not like a multitude of believers, it's the multitude of Roman soldiers and priest guards or uh, uh, synagogue guards that had come. Have you come out against with a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. In that last sentence, Jesus is calling out their cowardice. I've been available. Why are you coming out this way? That's aimed at the, at the priests and the Pharisees. I was there the whole time, but you wouldn't come out against me. All right, before we talk much about this, why did Judas do this? And why Judas? I still couldn't wrap my head around this. Like, like why, did, why did Jesus have to be betrayed? Okay, can we go on to the next scripture? Yep. So this is just a little bit of, a little background to, to the Pharisees. Like, like, why did they need Judas? So John eleven fifty three through 54 says, Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. This is the week before. Jesus isn't just walking around Jerusalem. He's not just walking around this week before where everybody just knows where he is. And Scripture tells us he's not. There's a timeline that Jesus has got to stick to that's ordained by God, but it's not like he's just out there and available. The other part that I think is important for us to think about, how did anybody know about Jesus? The radio? The TV? the newspaper, there were no pictures of Jesus. There's only word of mouth. There's Catholic writings from the early first century church that say that Jesus and James looked almost identical, that they looked like identical brothers. Now, that's not in our Bible. That's, that's something that I, that I looked up, but 
The point would be is that if you didn't know Jesus, and none of these Roman soldiers knew who Jesus was yet, right? Chances are they've never seen him. Half of the Pharisees have probably never seen him. He's in hiding. They don't know what he looks like. They just know he shows up in these places. So they're going to need somebody to identify him. John 12, 36 says, Jesus is, this is after Jesus is talking. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. This last sentence is one of those sentences that I just gloss over all the time and don't even think about it. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. One of the things that jumped out as I was reading this is that, so Palm Sunday, it changed the way I saw Palm Sunday, but if you read what the Bible says, so, so Jesus comes and he visits Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and it says the Jews that knew about him came to visit him where Lazarus was. That same group spreads the word that he's coming to Jerusalem, and that smaller group lays the palms out. It's not like the entire city of Jerusalem showed up to welcome Jesus. It was the group that knew him, that had been there with him. Uh, finally, last one. Uh, Matthew 26, 1-4. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. So if we go to the why why Judas, the, it's, not as, it's not as simple as we think. There wasn't GPS coordinates. They, they, you know, the Pharisees didn't have the NSA watching Jesus wherever he went. There was, there was a couple of things. One, they needed to be able to identify Jesus. They didn't know what he looked like. Two, they knew that it was super important that they needed Jesus alone. They couldn't go and take him when all of his followers were around. There'd be too much of a massive uproar. And they couldn't risk that. And we've talked about this before. I think you guys, most of you know this. They couldn't risk to have a riot because the Romans would, would crush them. In fact, Caiaphas said, isn't it better for one person to die for his country than for our whole people to die? That was Caiaphas, part of his logic as to why Jesus needed to die because this guy's going to start a riot. It's going to lead to all of us. Um, and the other part is, is that Jesus being betrayed is foretold in Scripture. It was going to happen one way or the other. But for me, I was really struggling with, I didn't understand why Jesus had to be betrayed. God sent him to earth to die for our sins. Like, why is this betrayal a part of it? But I think there's still more to learn from Judas. Okay, so Judas has betrayed Jesus. He's turned him over. The chief priests have taken him. Peter has denied him. They are, they are taking Jesus. He's been tried, and now he's going to be crucified. And then we come across Matthew 27, 3 through 10. And this is the scripture that I have been unable to move past for the last two weeks. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver, in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. 
But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they were the price of blood. Caveat. Lawful to spend the money out of this. Not lawful to take the money back. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced. Thirty pieces of silver. This is, this is an Old Testament verse, I'm going to get to it, but thirty, thirty pieces of silver, which equates to the price of a common slave gored to death accidentally by an ox. That's, that's what 30 pieces of silver means in the Old Testament. Whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them to the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Okay. So I'm going to take a pause from the scripture here and, and talk about this. So now we know who Jesus or who Judas was. We know what he did. We kind of think we understand like what led to it. But why did Judas do it? One of the twelve, you've been with Christ for three and a half years of ministry. You've witnessed everything that he's done. Why, why do you do that? I think it's because Judas felt like it was over. Now, a lot of the disciples did. But what separates Judas from, from the other disciples? I, I don't think that Christ was matching, in that moment, I don't think Christ was matching up to what Judas' expectations were. Judas, Christ was not going to end up being the king that Judas thought he was going to be. Judas wasn't going to end up being the treasurer for a world's kingdom like he thought he was going to be. And I also think that if you, if you think back to how Judas responded in Mary and Martha's house, I think Judas is still living under the, I'm doing the things he's telling me to do if I abide by that, and I'm close to him. I think Judas hasn't made a, hasn't made a switch to, I need to have a relationship with him, as to I'm still living under a law. It's a different law. Jesus is telling me some different things, but I'm still living under a law. And his security, Judas obviously had, was finding his security in money. He's stealing from the treasury box. He's still finding that money's going to take care of the things that I need. In fact, he, he gets the 30 pieces of silver, right? God, Jesus is very clear. What does he say? You cannot serve both God and money. There, there, like, if you look at this through the, through the lens of Judas, there's no middle ground. You can't do both. And, G, and Judas is stuck there. So the question I asked myself, um, where do you turn when Jesus doesn't match your expectations? Money, people, relationships, status, pleasure, where do you turn to when Jesus doesn't match your expectations? And then maybe an even more uncomfortable question, 
How much uncomfort does it take for you to turn there? What do you do that you said you would never do? And how much do you have to be squeezed to get there? Jenny and I were talking about this last night at dinner, and Jenny said, yeah, she said, it's, it's kind of like when you become a new mom, and you see the other moms, and you say, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> right? And that's just a great example I got from Jenny, but, but that happens to all of us, right? Oh, I wouldn't lie about that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't cheat on that thing. I wouldn't react in anger that way. I wouldn't gossip. I wouldn't freak out and resort to XYZ because this is crunching me and I feel like I have no other choices, right? What you turn to, I don't know who this quote is to, but I'll paraphrase. What you turn to in your moment of crisis indicates what you treasure in your heart. Judas treasured financial security, from what I can pull out of the Bible. And that's what he turned to in crisis. How am I going how, how to leverage this situation so that I can move forward? Right? Um, I got a couple of exclamation points here. Notice that Christ does not attempt to sway Ju- Judas. Christ doesn't intervene in Judas's free will. I thought that was really interesting. Like, that doesn't seem very fair. Like, that doesn't seem very loving. Like, why doesn't Jesus say, hey, Judas, don't do this. Don't do this thing. I want to have a relationship with you. Let's talk about this. Like, I, can, I know you're stealing from the money box. Why are you doing this? What is it about me that you don't trust? He doesn't do that. We're like, well, that's kind of scary for me. Like, I would hope Jesus would do that. So I thought about, well, who else has something like this that maybe Jesus did intervene with? And I thought about Peter. Jesus told Peter exactly what he was going to do. And Peter said, there's no way I'm going to do that. And what happened? He did it anyway. So, I mean, would it have made a difference? In that moment, in the upper room, Jesus says, the one who's going to betray me, nobody knows. He's looking right at Judas. You know? And Judas still says, he's still going to do it anyway. Right? Jesus doesn't intervene in our free will. That's what's so amazing about his love. He points different ways. He says what we should do or shouldn't do, but he doesn't intervene. Okay, so then we get to Judas at the temple. Here's a, here's a question that I took a long time to learn, especially through late high school, college years. <laughs> uh, is Judas repentant or is Judas remorseful? And what's the difference? The Bible says Judas is remorseful. Well, what's, what's remorse? Remorse is feeling guilty. Whatever I did yesterday or an hour ago or, or today, somebody's going to find out, and I feel super guilty about it. Or I know that I hurt somebody, 
and I feel super guilty about it. I have nothing in my heart that says I'm going to quit doing the thing, but I feel very, very guilty about it, and I would like to have my guilt absolved. That's remorse. Remorse is, is, is based off of I broke something, a law, um, something that I hold dear to myself, a principle, I feel very guilty. Is there a way I can pay a fine to pay that off? Is there some way you can make me feel like I'm, I'm okay and we'll move forward? Repentance, now this is only from, from my, my view, what I did when I'm in repentance, what I did hurt a relationship. And I want to turn and ask for forgiveness and commit to never doing it again. Remorse says I feel bad for it, I'll probably keep doing it, but right now can I just be forgiven for this thing? Repentance says I want to turn, never do it again because I don't ever want to hurt the other person the way that I just did. So here's the difference between Judas and his response and Peter and his response. Peter knows what he's done right? But Peter is able to get himself to a place to be face-to-face with Jesus because he has a relationship with Jesus. And and Peter has already said, right? Peter's the first guy. Jesus says, who do you think I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. So Peter, Peter knows this. But Peter's able to do that because he has a relationship with Christ. Judas never is. Judas can't do it. Um... I think it's because he didn't have a relationship with Christ. Like, why didn't Judas, do you notice that Judas doesn't go to Jesus? I mean, it'd be pretty hard to. But Jesus could have stood on the side of the road, I guess, and yelled out to Jesus, I'm so sorry. But he doesn't. He goes to the priest. Take the money back. And he doesn't even ask the priest for forgiveness. He just says, I have got to get this off of my plate. Now, here's why I think this is the case. He goes through the, the trial, and Judas realizes they got nothing on him. I've just handed over an innocent man. All of Jesus' believers are going to hate me, and the Pharisees aren't going to accept me. I'm a man without a home now. Maybe if I can turn this money in, at least I can say in history that I repented for it and turned my money in, and it wasn't my fault. But he's stuck. The other thing that we can pull away from this, and I think that this would have been very, this, this was um, important to anybody that's struggling with repentance versus guilt and remorse, and anybody in the church for that matter, just because Judas was close to Jesus does not mean that he knew Jesus. He liked being around Jesus and what that meant for his status until it appeared that this connection to Jesus would mean persecution. You can be very comfortable being close to Jesus and not knowing him. And we've all been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. You can be very comfortable with being affiliated with Jesus and his works until all of a sudden that means that you could personally pay a price. Persecution, right? That's where the relationship with Christ is so important. Okay, what does prophecy say? What, what, uh, 
Oh, sorry, can you? Yeah, what does prophecy say? So this is what Zechariah says. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. In this, in this prophecy, the only people that know that it's the word of the Lord is the poor. Nobody else picks up on that. And, and the commentators say this is the same in Jesus' day. Who, who accepted Christ for who he was in Jesus' day? The poor. Did the affluent and the rich accept him? How hard was it for Nicodemus? Nicodemus had to come to him in the middle of the night, right? Then I said to them, so this is Jesus, I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Uh, What's quite interesting, I'm not a biblical scholar by any means, but everything that I could search, like there's no reference of what that means, like to the potter. It didn't make any sense until they buy a field from the potter for strangers to be buried in. So that scripture, just, just real quickly, in that part of Zechariah, if you read Zechariah 11, it talks about shepherds. The first group of shepherds are shepherds who do not care about the flock. They don't care about them at all. They feed them. They fatten them up for slaughter. They make money on the sheep. That's what they do. And those shepherds are the Pharisees, the priests, and the elders. Then you've got the good shepherd, which is Jesus. And then it'll talk a little bit further on in Zechariah about the Antichrist, which is a shepherd who cares nothing about the flock and is just going to destroy them. But when we talk a little bit further about where it says that I will strike the good shepherd and his flock will scatter, that comes out of Zechariah. Like everything that's being talked about in Zechariah happens like in this boom, in this one moment in Scripture in the New Testament. But Jesus is the good shepherd that comes to save us and we price him the price of a slave. I could not help but think, how much do we pay everybody else in society? I don't want to call out one group, but millions of dollars to professional athletes. Millions of dollars to movie stars. CEOs, whatever you name it. The God of the universe, we said, that guy is worth about as much money as a slave that got gored by an ox. And Jesus didn't set the price. He said, you put the price on me what you think I'm worth. And we said 30 pieces of silver. Okay, um, just as an aside, why? Why do we get wrapped so much up with status and wealth? John 12, 42-43 says, nevertheless, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. I can know that it's the right thing to do to say that I confess Jesus, but if that means that I'm going to lose the praise of powerful men or women, I'm not going to do it. That is what it is. I mean, we've all, we've all struggled with that, but we should be aware of that. The Good Shepherd um, like I said, the scriptures, then Jesus said to them, all of you who will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, 
I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Um, I put that in there just because it, it, this all ties into this, this scripture that the Judas throwing the money back into the, the temple. It all plays out into Jesus being the good shepherd and it even plays out to Jesus being struck in all of the disciples scattering. Okay, uh, next. That's the same out of Mark. Next. Okay, we're about five minutes over, so I'm going to go really quick. That's it. What can we learn? Repentance requires relationship. Otherwise, you'll just feel guilty under a law if you don't, if you don't repent and, and repent to somebody, turn to somebody. We don't turn to a different law when we repent, right? The prodigal son, did he turn around to go to a different law? No, he turned from his sin and he walked back to his father. Repentance requires relationship with Christ. Remember that proximity to the teaching and miracles of Christ did not change Judas's heart or secure his salvation, nor did his occasional good works or regret. Jesus had done all those things. Judas had done all those things. Sorry. Judas had done many good works. That proximity didn't save him. Um, Don't misplace your trust in keeping rules, in feeling personally vindicated, or in worldly things. And let us not cheapen Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then lastly, the very first things that Jesus taught, the very things that John the Baptist taught, the thing that I believe that we are taught to go out into the world and make disciples is is this simple. Repent. Turn to Jesus, for the kingdom of God is near. If you'll pray with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, I I thank you um, for creating this stumbling block in my path to understand a little bit more about what we can learn from Judas during this Lenten season or learn about pitfalls in our own faith or or things that we will put false security in. God, help us not to do that. God, I'm so grateful that in our church that you have saved us, God, that you have written your word on our hearts that the Holy Spirit abides in us, and I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit leads us in our decisions. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to reach out to those around us in love and point them to the difference between remorse and guilt and true repentance that leads to salvation. Please be with us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.